Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. 3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. Well, we want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing the show live today. Today is July 30th. It is a Friday. I'm so glad to be with you today. We also want to welcome those of you who are listening on our syndicated stations those include Hope FM on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. And guess what? Today, we have a new uh, radio ministry partner that is going to be um, airing this show. So that's starting today. So we want to welcome you who are listening on Radio by Grace. Now, Radio by Grace is a network of Christian ministry stations and today, for sure, we are in the Panhandle of Texas, so I think it's in the El Paso area, or Amarillo. I'm not actually sure. I'm not real good on my—oh, it's in Amarillo. I'm not real good on my Texas geography, but Amarillo, I guess, is in the Panhandle of Texas, and they are listening today. All of you in Amarillo, please forgive me uh, for, for not knowing about uh, your state. So, hey, I'm um, so glad to have you guys with us, and they— this Radio by Grace Network is an amazing ministry. They've got, um, they're in eastern New Mexico, they're in the Panhandle of Texas, and they've also got stations all over the um, all over the country, everywhere from Wyoming to Wisconsin. I mean Tennessee. Let's see where else. I've got a list here: Ohio, um, yeah, South Carolina, North Carolina. Really, really cool. So we are excited to say that over. The next few weeks, they're going to be rolling out, uh, airing our shows on all of their stations. But for this week, we're definitely there in Amarillo. And there's Pastor Bill Gem, uh, pastors of the Calvary Chapel Church. It's called Grace Church of Amarillo. And that's the home church of the uh, Radio by Grace Christian Radio Network. And uh, we're so glad to have you guys tuning in. And I'd love to have some callers from Amarillo. Um, I just want to remind you that those of you listening on Truth FM, Hope FM, and the Radio by Grace Network, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. So we just want you to keep that in mind and know about it so that when you call in, you understand that. But we also want you to view it as an opportunity that as you call in, as you are on the air, you know that a week from now, you're gonna be, it's going to be airing, broadcasting in your local area over the FM stations. And so that gives you an opportunity to invite some people to tune in, maybe some friends and family who don't usually, maybe they don't usually go to church. Maybe they don't usually listen to Christian radio. And this will be a way for them to 
get uh, introduced to that station in your local area, and who knows what God might do through that in their lives as they hear the Word of God, as it goes into their ears, as it affects their minds, as it transforms their hearts. Uh, Pastor Bill Gem there in Amarillo, he is on Grace FM, for those of you in the Colorado and Wyoming area. He's on at 9 p.m. on Mondays through Fridays. So those of you, if you have a radio, if you remember, write it down, make a note, 9 p.m. Monday through Friday, you can hear Pastor Bill Gem's messages on Grace FM. But we're so glad to be partnering with them and Radio by Grace here on Grace FM and here with Calvary Live. So uh, welcome to all of you, and so good to see how this uh, family of listening stations is uh, growing. So give us a call, the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 with your Bible questions, with your prayer requests. We're standing by waiting for your calls and looking forward to praying with you on the air and answering those questions you have about the Bible. Maybe there are things that have come up in your Bible reading or in your life as you've been living that you wonder, what does the Bible have to say about this? Or what does this Bible verse mean? How does this make sense in regard to this other thing that the Bible says? Those are the kind of questions that we're here to answer for you every weekday. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We also want to greet those who are tuning in online. We've got a lot of listeners today tuning in online all over the United States and even abroad. We have some listeners in Europe today as well. So we want to welcome everybody who is tuning in online. If you haven't yet done so, please go and get the free Grace FM mobile app for your phone and for your tablet. We'd love to have you be able to tune in there. Uh, anywhere in the world as you go over the internet and you can listen even on your smart speakers. So for those of you, or if you have friends or family members who have smart speakers, they, you can tell it to tune into Grace FM and it will. So we'd love for you to do that. Hey, the number to call 303-690-3000, text us 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself as we're waiting for those calls to come in. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We'd love to have you come worship with us some Sunday morning. If you're looking for a place for your family, if you're in the Longmont area here in Boulder County, Weld County, up into uh, the edge of Larimer County, then uh, we would love to have you come and worship with us, or even if you're just within driving distance. Uh, our church moved into our own building about a year and a half ago, and this building's really conveniently located right off of uh, Highway 119, right in between I-25 and downtown Longmont. And so if you are coming off of the I-25 corridor, if you're coming off of 287 or County Line Road, Highway 66, Highway 52, Highway 119, if you're anywhere near those areas, we would love to have you come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. We are um, currently studying through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings and really enjoying it. This past Sunday, we talked about the message of the cross and how the gospel message, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the gospel message is the message of the cross. And the message of the cross is the gospel message. And he says, you know, it is a stumbling block for Jews, right? The idea of a crucified Messiah and it's foolishness to Greeks, the idea that you could be saved through the death of a crucified Jewish person. And yet this message, the message of the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And it's the message that we preach. It's the message that we want to spread throughout the world. 
That's what we talked about this past Sunday. We're keeping it all about Jesus here at Whitefields. We'd love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday. We're going to be continuing that study um, as we look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul talks about how when he came to Corinth, he came uh, proclaiming the testimony of God, uh, not with lofty words of wisdom, but just in simplicity and clarity with a display of the power of God. It's interesting. Paul uses that word, the power of God, as a synonym for the message of the gospel, the message of what Jesus has done for us in order to save us. So we'd love to have you come worship with us. We have three services on Sunday mornings. Those are at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. So 8, 9.30, and 11. Love to have you come for one of those. The 8 o'clock service is a family service. 9.30 and 11 are services that also have children's ministry. We'd love to have you uh, get involved and be part of those as well. So you can find directions, you can find service times, you can find all the stuff that you need, as well as listen to some past messages over on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear me here on Grace FM every weekday, uh, twice a day, 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., as well as Sundays at 1 o'clock p.m. So every weekday, 9.30 and 2.30, as well as Sundays at 1 o'clock p.m., well, we'd love to have you worship with us. You can also worship with us online. If you're not within our driving distance, you can check us out and worship with us online there at whitefieldschurch.com. So as we're waiting for those calls to come in, let me give you the numbers again. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. We have all open lines, so it's a great time to call in with those questions about the Bible, with your prayer requests. Give us a call one more time, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. Speaking of the text line, we have one text message that just came in. Let's um, pray for that one. Uh, someone is asking for prayer. They say they are in an abusive relationship, and it looks like they're... Uh, I'm not sure if it was a husband or a boyfriend, but this person left them during their uh, COVID-19 sickness. And she says, please pray for me. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for this dear person. I don't know her name, Lord, but you know exactly who she is. and You know her situation. And so, Lord, we lift this uh, person up to you and we ask that you be with them. Lord, that as they've been abandoned during their sickness, Lord, thank you that you are one who would never, who has never abandoned us and will never abandon us. She will never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, I pray that she would find solace and comfort in your love. Lord, I pray that this would be a time in which she would draw near to you like never before. And Lord, I thank you that you are the kind of person or you're the kind of God who loves us in, in such a way that you will never abandon us when we are sick, but rather you took on our infirmity. You took on our um, sin and Lord, you, by your stripes, we are healed ultimately. Our souls can be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray for this dear person, Lord, that she would receive your salvation, your grace through Jesus. And Lord, that she would find in you everything that her heart truly needs and everything that she ultimately desires, that she would find those things in you and you alone. So, Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm sorry to hear about that. That's really sad. You know, it does remind me of something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about how many of the early Christians, as they were becoming Christians in Corinth, sometimes their spouse, who they were married to, 
would leave them and say, hey, you know, I didn't sign up to be married to a Christian, and they would leave them. And Paul says, well, if that's the case, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use the time that your newfound and unwanted, undesired singleness now gives you. And I want you to use that time to serve the Lord, serve him wholeheartedly, pursue him rather than pursuing another partner. And I would just give that advice to you. And maybe there's some others of you out there who need to hear that word. Maybe uh, you've recently gone through a breakup. Maybe you've gone through uh, a divorce and your heart's broken. You're sad. Maybe you're feeling lonely. I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because what Paul says there is really important and really interesting. You know, he basically says this, if you are in this situation where you find yourself single, then just remember this. We're in a race, right? And, and we're in a race to serve the Lord. We're in a race through this life. It's, it's a short life we have to live. We have a short window of time in which to seek God and to make him known. We're going to spend eternity with him but let's use this life that you have rather than, rather than um, sitting in, in despair in your situation, rather see the opportunity that this situation gives you to serve the Lord. I know that was certainly the case well, with myself in my life is that, um, you know, and I've noticed this very many times that oftentimes it's when people are seeking the Lord and pursuing the Lord and fulfilled in that, those are the times when God tends to maybe even bring somebody into your life. Not that it's a guarantee by any means, but it's interesting, you know, that as we're seeking him and pursuing him, then you look over and you see somebody else who's also seeking him and pursuing him, and you say, oh, wow, you too. Maybe we could do this together. And personally, I think that that spiritual friendship, meaning, uh, and what I mean by spiritual friendship is I mean two people who what they have in common is that they are seeking the Lord and they're serving him Oftentimes, that is the absolute best foundation you could possibly have for a marriage and for a family. So uh, I hope those words encourage you, and I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 7. But we are praying for you, for your heart, and for your continued healing from COVID-19. So thanks for the text message. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Once again, that text line seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Hey, I wanted to uh, while we're waiting for more calls and texts to come in, I wanted to share with you a few thoughts. Um, over on my blog, I have a blog. It's uh, nickkady.org, so N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. I write some articles. I hope they were help. I hope they're helpful to people. Um, but I also have a blog that I, or sorry, a, a podcast that I started a few months ago. That's been getting some good traction. A lot of people tuning into that. But I had a post that I, I made this week, and it was uh, related to a question that I received here on Grace FM and uh, Calvary Live a few months ago. And I thought it was worthwhile to answer that one on the blog, but I'll answer it for you here on the air too, as we're waiting for calls and texts to come in from our listeners. If you are listening today, that's you. So we'd love to hear from you with your prayer requests, your questions about the Bible, maybe questions about life and how the Bible speaks into certain situations in your life. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. But the question we received was this. 
Uh, will God remove the Holy Spirit from a person because of disobedience? Well, you know, recently um, at our church here in Whitefields and in Longmont, we did this five-week study on the person and work of the Holy Spirit called The Spirit-Filled Life. And you can find that on our website over at whitefieldschurch.com. But one of the questions that people sometimes ask about the Holy Spirit is whether God will remove the Holy Spirit from a person because of disobedience or sinful actions. And like I said, this is a question that I received here on the station a few weeks ago, and I didn't have time to answer it on the air. So I answered on my blog, but I just want to share the answer with you who are listening. Well, on the one hand, there are verses which talk about God removing the Holy Spirit from people. For example, in Psalm 51, verse 11, King David prays, Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he prays this in the wake of his sin with Bathsheba. So this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So this idea that, that David's praying, do not cast me away from your presence, do not take your spirit from me, after he sins with Bathsheba, it brings up a, a question. Are there times when God removes the Holy Spirit from someone because they did something really bad? Furthermore, there's some other examples. So in 1 Samuel 16, it says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul. Another example there is found in the book of Judges, where it says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Samson. So again, the question, does this mean that God will remove his spirit from you if you live in a bad way? And, and here's why that's a big problem, because Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So in other words, if God removes his Holy Spirit from you, he has essentially removed from you your salvation, right? So in other words, the question gets to that. Will God remove salvation from you by removing his spirit from you if you do bad things or disobey God or, or do things that you ought not to have done? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand this. And this is something I've talked about here on the air before, but I'll, I'll, I want to do it again because it's really important, really foundational. And that is this, that there are three relationships with the Holy Spirit that are experienced by three different groups of people. So there are three different relationships with the Holy Spirit, and they're experienced by different groups of people. So uh, let me explain what that means. First of all, there is what we would call the with relationship. So in John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit up until that point had been with them. Jesus then told them that the work of the Holy Spirit in the world is that he brings about conviction in people's hearts and minds about three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, in every country, with all people, and he is whispering in people's ears, if you will, by his Spirit, speaking to their hearts about the fact that, number one, they are sinners, they've fallen short, of God's perfect standard. Number two, that God is righteous. And therefore, number three, there is a day coming of judgment when they will have to stand before that righteous God and give an account for their lives. Now, the purpose of this conviction is not to just make people feel bad about themselves. The purpose is to draw them to Jesus by bringing them to a realization of why they need a Savior so they will embrace Jesus and what he's done in order to save them. So that's the with relationship. Okay, the next one is what we call the in relationship. And the Holy Spirit is with all people, but the Holy Spirit is in those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples there in John 14, verse 17. He says, the Holy Spirit has been with you 
up until this point, but soon the Holy Spirit will also be in you. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, that one day God was going to put his spirit within his people in order to transform them from the inside out. So that's like Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. Uh, for people in the Old Testament, though, right, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that was always a future event. It was something they didn't get to experience or live out. But after Jesus died and resurrected, it says in John chapter 20 that Jesus met with his disciples and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was at that moment that the disciples received the Holy Spirit within them. And it was at that moment that they were born again. Well, what it comes down to is this. Only those who have put their faith in Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them. And also every person who has put their faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit within them. So the Bible tells us when you put your faith in Jesus, God puts his spirit in you as a guarantee. Uh, furthermore, like the regenerating and indwelling spirit is called the spirit of adoption. So it's God's guarantee that you belong to him and that you are his. So the indwelling spirit, the spirit in inside of you as in the believer sanctifies, leads, guides, strengthens, and transforms. So that brings us to the third relationship, which is the Holy Spirit. So is with all people in those who have been redeemed. And then the third relationship is upon. And this one's all about empowering people to do what God called them to do. And here's why it's so interesting, because in John chapter 20, right, Jesus breathes on his disciples, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then Here's what's interesting. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, like they're born again. Then in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, what happens is Jesus tells them after they've already received the Holy Spirit to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Now, that, here's why it's interesting. If they just received the Holy Spirit in John 20, then why is it that after that, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Well, the reason is because it's speaking about two different relationships with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus breathed on them, they received the Spirit in them, and they were born again, but then they were to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. That's the empowering, empowerment to carry out the mission Jesus had given them. And that's why Jesus says, right, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, will you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the upon relationship. This is what we read about in the Old Testament. We read that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon and upon Samson and upon David and upon Elisha and others. It was about empowering them to do what God called them to do. So that brings us back to this question. Will God remove his Holy Spirit from you for disobedience? And what happened to David? What happened to King Saul when the Holy Spirit departed from them? Or when David prayed, don't remove your Holy Spirit? Or well, Samson, right? When it says that the Spirit departed from Samson. Again, think in terms of those three relationships. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was with people to bring conviction. And the Holy Spirit was upon people to empower them in, some time, in, in certain cases. Right? Like with Samson, with, with the kings, the judges, etc. But at that point in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not yet within people. So when we read about, the, about God removing his spirit or the spirit departing from someone in the Old Testament, it's not in the sense of that person who, it's not in the sense that that person had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, 
Rather, it's in the sense of God removing the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, the upon relationship. That's what's being removed. But I will say this, and this is important, which is that for a person who has been sealed by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we never read of God removing the Holy Spirit from someone in that sense. And that's why it's important that I said, you know, sealing and adopting are the words that are used to describe the indwelling Holy Spirit, the in relationship. So that if the indwelling spirit is the spirit of adoption, we never read about God unadopting us, right? Uh, we, we never read about God unsealing us, right? The whole point of this is that instead of unadopting us, what God does is he disciplines us. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that God disciplines his children. So if you're a child of God, he isn't going to um, disown you as a child. Rather, he, he will, though, in many cases, discipline us in order to bring us back. It's the same thing with the sealing, right? The whole point of sealing is it's a guarantee of your salvation. Um, and that's exactly what it is. It's a guarantee, right? What good is a guarantee if it's not actually a guarantee? He has placed his spirit within you as a guarantee that he will see you through and bring to completion, as we read in Philippians chapter one, the good work that he began in you. In other words, if you're his child, he won't give up on you. And that's really comforting. That's really good news. So I hope that answers that question about removing. Basically, in the Old Testament, when we read that word, it's speaking about removing the anointing or the empowering, not removing any sort of sealing or indwelling, which we as believers in Jesus now experience. And I just got a text came in asking me a follow-up question to that, which was this. Have you ever done a topical study on the Holy Spirit at Whitefields? The answer is yes, I have. I just did it like um, recently. Like we just finished it a couple weeks ago and it was called The Spirit-Filled Life. You can find it on our website. If you go to our website and then click on messages or sermons, I can't remember exactly how it's on the website. But you click on messages or sermons and then you'll see all of them arranged by series and just click on the one for Spirit-Filled Life and I've got five messages in that series. Everything from the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer uh, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at walking in the Spirit. Uh, we looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was a great study. And if any of you are interested in checking that out, I really recommend uh, go and listen to those messages. You can also find them on our podcast. Just search us up on the uh, podcast app that you use under Whitefields Community Church. Just keep in mind that white and fields are two separate words. They're not one word. So spell them separately. If you want to find us on social media and your podcast app, you can also find those videos of that sermon series on YouTube. Uh, just search us up on, on YouTube in the search engine, just as Whitefields Church. Remember, Whitefields is two words, not one. Uh, and then a related text just came in asking me, so are you saying that you can't lose your salvation? Um, yeah, so I really don't like the terminology of losing your salvation. Um, so here's why I don't like it, because it implies something that like happened to you, right? Like you lose your keys, you lose your kid in the grocery store. These are not things that, um, you know, they're things that like passively happen to you and not something, you know, like, oops, I lost my salvation, right? I don't think that's how it works. Um, I think a better question would be the question of, can you forfeit your salvation? Can you uh, reject your salvation? Can you jump ship? I think that would be a more interesting and more biblical discussion to have. Um, and, you know, it, it does get to one of these questions of, well, were you ever in that case truly 
born again, right? And this, this is a passage that talks about this in Hebrews chapter 6, which we could talk about uh, if any of you are interested in doing so. But we're coming up on our mid-show break. Haven't had any callers today, which is very strange. Usually I have full lines here in this first half hour. Hopefully the second half hour will be different. So give us a call. Give us lots of calls. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you could text us at 720-336-3000. 0897. Once again, the text line 720-336-0897 and the call-in line 303-690-3000. Well, we have had some text messages come in. I'm going to answer those right after the break, but hopefully we'll get some phone calls as well. And I hope you guys are having a great Friday. We're going to be right back in two minutes time after this break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. 690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line 720-336-0897. Well, we've had a lot of texts come in to the show today. Um, not a lot of calls, but we do have a caller on line one. Uh, and so any of those of you listening, we've got two open lines, give us a call 303-690-3000. But now let's go to Michael in Wiggins. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. So I had a question for you. Um, a lot of people have told me that God is infallible. That that's true, right? Of course. So, um, when in the Bible, how it says God is a jealous God, um, I've always took jealousy as a negative, and to me, that would be a something that if God is a jealous God, then isn't that a um, I don't know how to phrase that. Isn't that something of, is it, I don't know how to, is it infallibility or I don't know how to. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard this before. Have I've had friends ask me this question before. It's a good question. So thanks for calling in and asking that question. I think it's a question that a lot of people wonder about. So um, I'll tell you what, it, it's really interesting because the Bible uses the word jealousy and it lists it as a sin. Let, let me give you the best example is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22. Oh, I'm sorry, not 22. It is found in the, oh, Galatians 5, 26, right? It says, let us not be conceited or jealous, provoking one another or envying one another, being jealous of one another. It's listed among the sins um, a list of sins in the Bible, right? Just that we shouldn't have. It's just jealousy. Um, for example, in another verse, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians, it says that love uh, is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, right? And so I think a lot of times, you know, people think of jealousy as being the same as envy. And actually it is in some cases, right? And so 
when I'm jealous of what somebody has, that's called in the Bible by other words, like covetousness is a, is a form of what we're talking about when we say that we're jealous. It's when I want something that somebody else has and I'm upset that I don't have it, right? This would even be like similar to maybe the sin of Cain. We're not exactly sure what happened with Cain and Abel, right? But we can see that Cain was upset because God was pleased with Abel and not with him. And that jealousy that he had is what got him going down that path of temptation and giving into the devil and through which he ends up committing murder. But the point is this, that jealousy, right? Wanting something that is not yours. Now, when we bring that around to God, when God says that I love you with a jealous love, right? Um, a few ways to think about that. Number one, it's, it's only jealous. Jealousy is wrong in the case when you want something that is not rightly yours. But in the case when something is rightly yours, it makes sense. Let me give you an example. Um, well, let me ask you this. Michael, are you, are you married? No. Okay. I think, you'll, I think this will really hit home when you get married, if, if that's ever in the cards for you. And I'll just tell you why. Because um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story first. So back up, okay? I had this friend. I used to live in Hungary. I lived in Hungary um, until I was 28 years old, and I moved to Colorado. But uh, I lived in Hungary, and um, I had this friend, and he was always like, you know, I don't get it why, like, you know, men and women can't be friends. Like, I think that, you know, it's good for men and women to be friends, right? And I said, yeah, I think it's good too. But I said, just understand, if you get married, your wife may not be, like, as excited about you having close friends who are females as you're excited about the idea of having platonic relationships with females, right? And you probably aren't going to be super stoked on her having like a best friend who's a guy and they like go out and do stuff together. Um, and he was like, I don't know. I don't believe you. And then he got married and that's exactly what happened is that his, uh, his fiance at the time who became his wife, her best friend was this other guy who she used to be engaged to. And then he had all these relationships with girls in the church. Now, they were pure relationships. There was nothing weird or, you know, um, romantic about them in any way. Um, and yet, you know, she found herself being jealous of his relationships with those girls. And he found himself being jealous of her relationship with this other guy and not liking the fact that she, her best friend was a guy that she used to be engaged to. And, you know, I'm sure that there's people even listening right now who are like, oh, see, that's the problem. It's all these jealous people out there. But I said, here's what I told him. I said, look, as until you guys are married, she can be friends with whoever she wants. And you can be friends with whoever you want. But at the time when you get married, like the Bible even says, right, you are not your own. You belong to your spouse. And your spouse is not your, her own. She belongs to you. And the two of you have become one person. And there's a, almost like a mutual responsibility to one another. And so, um, and that's, that's literally what happened. And, and he was like, okay, yeah, I get it now. And I think that happens when people get married. You realize that like, like let's give, let me give you a scenario. I'm married. I go out somewhere and some guy, let's say we go out to a restaurant and let's say like the waiter or somebody at the restaurant starts like flirting with my wife. Now, uh, and my wife maybe starts uh, enjoying that somebody is taking interest in her. Now, would it be right for me to just sit back and say, you know what, I don't want to be a jealous weirdo, so I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to like let them do their thing and I'll just sit here and watch. <laughs> of course not. That would be, it would actually be weird for you to be okay with it, right? And why? Well, because in this case, this is a relationship. I don't want to say that you own your spouse. I, what I do mean is that there's a relationship here where there, there's a mutual giving of one another. There's, an, there's a giving of each other's lives to each other in a way in which if we've betrothed the, each, ourselves to one another, it would be completely inappropriate for me to allow somebody to just come in and do that. It would be inappropriate for her to allow it, but also be inappropriate for me to just stand by and allow it. And so what we see with God, this is a picture throughout the Bible that God speaks of himself as a husband and his people as his bride. In the Old Testament, it's the terminology of husband and wife. In the New Testament, it's the terminology of bride and bridegroom. But it's the same thing. It's this belonging to one another. And, and therefore, it's actually absolutely appropriate for God when he sees his people, you know, the Bible even uses this word, and I, I use it cautiously, but I use it because the Bible uses it, uh, whoring after, after idols and after foreign gods. God says, no, 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 no. You are my wife. You're my bride, right? I'm your husband. I've given myself to you, and you've given yourself to me. This is not okay, and therefore it's right for him to be jealous because it's something that actually is his, as opposed to being jealous for something that he has no right or claim over. Does that make sense? Um, kind of. I still think that uh, if God is infallible, he doesn't need to be jealous because, you know, the people that go to him, he knows who they are, and the people that reject him, he knows who they are as well. So, so, so let me push back on that. Okay, let's just put it this way. If you are a person who has given your life to God, and then let's say you start idolizing something else and you start to wander away from God. Do you think that he should respond flappably? Do you think that he should just be like, oh, okay, cool, Michael, whatever you want to do is fine with me? Or do you think that he should feel some sense of emotion, right? So, you, do, you know, because clearly the Bible says, at least in anthropomorphic terms, that God feels emotion. So, do you think that God should just not care? If you, having given yourself to him, then wander away from him? Oh, are you asking me? I am, yes. Well, I imagine he does care, you know. Don't you think it's right for him to care? Absolutely. Yeah, and so I, it would be in that sense that I believe that God's using the word jealous. And so, again, I think it's understanding context and the use of language. And of course, human language has its limitations, right? Clearly, um, what we're talking about when we're talking about jealousy over something that belongs to you uh, is different than um, jealousy over something that doesn't belong to you. And maybe it's a limitation of human language that we don't have good enough vocabulary to differentiate between those two things, but that's what's being talked about. That's why the Bible can be so honest as to say that when we feel jealous of other people, that's called covetousness, and it's literally in the Ten Commandments. But when God is jealous over his own people wandering away from him, like, like we read about in Hosea with that great picture of Hosea and Gomer, that that actually isn't sinful at all. In fact, it's, it's not only not sinful, it's 
right and appropriate. And for God to not do that and not feel that way would actually be missing the mark. That would actually be sin. Well, I'll just, I guess we can just leave it at that. And you can um, ponder it, think about it, pray about it, do some reading on it. Um, but I, I would encourage you to, to give that some thought. It's really because of this metaphor of marriage that when God is being jealous, it is not uh, negative. Rather, it's the only correct reaction. So uh, I'll let you I go, but it. thanks for your question. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. With the end of that call, we have one open line, the number to call, 303-690-3000. Let's go to our next caller, Jacob in Elizabeth, Colorado. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Doing good. So I have a question. Um, This is a conversation I've had with other believers. I believe you know, praying over your food at a restaurant is absolutely fine. And some think it's uh, more along the lines of Matthew 6, 6, saying to not be vain in your prayer and draw attention to yourself. I just needed, like, some clarity in that area. That's a great question. You know, um, there are times, though, here, okay, so let's back up a second. Matthew 6, 6 talks about praying in secret. So if you're praying in a public restaurant or in any public setting, um, you know, is that, are you doing it for show? Now, one of the things I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that, that that's where that passage is found. So Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, and that verse is found in Matthew 6, dead center of the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things I like about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus really makes it clear that uh, a lot of people who think in a legalistic way They're always looking for legalities and loopholes, whereas God is really concerned with your heart. That's why Jesus says, if you lust after someone in your heart, only God sees that, but he he sees that you're missing the mark, right? If you hate someone in your heart, right, um, that's, that's sin, right? And so in this case, he talks about praying in secret so that your Father in heaven will reward you not so that you will be looked at well by people. I would say, again, this gets to a matter of the heart. I think there are times when praying in public can be done for the right reason, and, it, and I think there are certainly times when it can be done for the wrong reason. And right. the wrong... And I, you'll go ahead. Um, when I pray in public, it's you know between my family and myself, and it's, it's quiet. We're not being obnoxious. I just want to give my thanks to our father for the food and, you know, the ability to have the freedom and go out to eat and, you know, have a choice in what we eat and where we eat. And I, I want to express my gratitude by, you know, a quick prayer within, you know, our table and quietly and definitely not to draw any attention to ourselves. Yeah. And I think the other, here's another part of it. You also don't want to fall to the other extreme where you're almost like, so ashamed or so cautious that you, or maybe embarrassed of, you know, other people seeing you pray that you don't do it, right? So um, I would say this, that you're also doing one more thing that I didn't hear you mention, that is that you're, you're teaching your children, right? You're teaching your children to give thanks before they eat, which isn't, it's modeled by Jesus. They prayed a blessing over the Last Supper, right? 
he blessed the right. food before he broke it when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Um, but there's no like commandment, you know, like thou must pray at the table before you eat, etc. But here's the, here's the other thing that I would say. You could say to your friends who, who tell you that Matthew 6 applies in this case, is that you can remind them that Jesus prayed in public context. For example, Jesus literally prayed on the cross more than once. He spoke to the Father out loud, and other people heard him, right? So you could ask yourself, well, what, why was he doing that? Should he have just kept it to himself? Should he have prayed silently under his breath? You know, um, was he doing it to show off? Well, I don't think that he was, but them hearing the words that he was praying to the Father communicated something to them. And in this case, it was something that he wanted them to hear. He wanted them to be taught something even through his prayers, which is why he said them out loud. So there's a case in which Jesus is surrounded by non-believers and prays to the Father, not to pat himself on the back, but with a sincere heart and knowing that they probably need to hear the words that he's saying. So uh, I would come back and give them that as a rebuttal, if you will. Okay. All right. Well, I think, I think really you nailed it. And that was, you know, exactly um, what I was looking for. Um, I had, in my opinion, given some good remarks and, and points to back what I was saying, but um, I think just, you know, a, a whole nother set of eyes on the situation is, is helpful in a big way. Cool. Well, God bless you. Thanks for calling right, in. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Uh, Joseph in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Cady. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear from you, Joseph. What's up? So, um, you know, wisdom, you know, Proverbs chapter 8 talks about wisdom. And uh, I, I just want some clarification because it seems like when I read it, it speaks of as wisdom is a person, female person, and um, it's as if she was there with Christ before creation. But Proverbs chapter 8 verse 22 states, that Christ, if you will, possessed her from the onset of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting verse, isn't it? So um, I'll give you a little bit of context here that might be helpful because this passage is actually used in the New Testament, um, not directly quoted, but alluded to. And um, here's, here's the essence of it. We would say that Proverbs 8 is an example of Christ in the Old Testament, Christ being talked about in the Old Testament. And here's why, because it talks about wisdom personified. And it talks about how wisdom was there in the beginning with God. Now, this is an important point. Wisdom is with God and God possessed wisdom. So here's, here's my take on it. When it says that God possessed wisdom, that at that point, it's no longer speaking of wisdom personified, as in Jesus, it is rather speaking of actually 
right? The, um, the element of wisdom as being, you know, um, knowledge put into practice, right? Knowing what to do in the right situation, that's what wisdom is. But I do believe that in some of those verses, wisdom personified is speaking about Jesus. And this isn't a theme which is picked up on by the New Testament writers, particularly the Apostle Paul, and particularly in John chapter 1 and in Colossians, I believe that's also chapter 1, um, and, in, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, and I'll, I'll look it up for you real quick, 1 Corinthians 1 says, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Wisdom from God, and the correlating verse with that is in, oh, where am I not finding it? Colossians 1.14, is this what I'm looking for? Nope, that's not it. Uh, but there's a verse here in Colossians that I'm just, I'm not finding it um, in the moment. But it says that in Jesus is hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. One of you guys out there is going to find that verse and text it to me, and that'll be great. But that is what it says that um, in him is found. Oh, here it is. Found it. It's in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that's an allusion back to wisdom as a person in Proverbs 8. Now you ask the question it, that wisdom is spoken of with a female pronoun. That's, that's very interesting, isn't it? It reminds us of the fact like this. Some people would say, okay, is God a man? Literally, literally someone asked me this question uh, last Monday. They said, is God a man or a woman? And the answer is, no, 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 no. God's not a man or a woman. God is God. And men and women are created in the image of God. And together they reflect and give a view to some of who God is, aspects of God's character. Both men do that and women. Now, in the New Test or in the Bible, God is referred to by male pronouns, but he is also referred to by female metaphors. So, for example, a hen who gathers her chicks under his or her wings is one that Jesus used. Um, you know, there's also metaphors in the book of Isaiah using that same kind of bird-like image. Uh, there's one that says, you know, can a mother uh, nursing her baby forget the baby that she's nursing in the same way God will not forget you? So that's a picture of God as a nurturing, that nurturing aspect of God is used as illustrated by the metaphor of a woman nursing. Here's another example that wisdom is spoken of in the female term. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I do know this, that um, God is neither male nor female, right? But both men and women reflect certain aspects of God's character. And in our differences from each other as men and women, we reflect different aspects of him. And we can't fully uh, image God, if you will, or reflect the image of God unless we are together. You know, we, we need both men and women in order to do that fully. So does, does that answer your question, or is there still something I left unanswered? Joseph. Um, also, I might have lost you, but I see that you want prayer for an outdoor event at your church. So I want to pray for you for that. I think I might have lost you on the line here, but let's go ahead and pray for this outdoor event at your church as well. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray for Joseph's church. And uh, I remember praying for these guys before. I pray for this outdoor event taking place at their church. I believe it's outdoor worship service. We pray for that. We pray that people would come out, that they would worship you, 
there in Wheat Ridge. And Lord, that your name would be lifted high and glorified, that much would be made of Jesus in Wheat Ridge. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to our next caller, Soka in Thornton, Colorado. Hi, Soka. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. What can we do for you? Yeah, I just have a question. It's about committing suicide. And a Christian, if a Christian commits suicide, does he go to heaven or does he go to hell? To me, I understand that committing suicide is a cell murder, and God don't like don't like murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Soka, you, you're right that uh, suicide is murder, and murder is a sin. And of course, you know, sin is punishable by judgment. But here's a here's the question: Can someone who has committed murder still go to heaven if they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if they've been forgiven and redeemed by Jesus and his death and faith in him? And is it possible that a person in a moment of great weakness um, could be overcome and do something that is absolutely sin, absolutely regrettable, and yet if they are in Christ, that sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross? This is really the big question. And see, here's the thing. When we put our faith in Jesus, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are seen by God as one, and they, are, they have been paid for already by Jesus on the cross. Here's, here's what I would say, Soka, is that uh, I would never, ever want to encourage anyone to commit suicide. I think it's, it's a, one of the worst things that you can do, not only to yourself, but also to, to others who are uh, around you or left behind. And I would say this, that there's never, it's, it's, it's never, there's never, um, it's always too early to give up. Let's put it that way. So if there's anyone out there who is listening and you're, you're struggling with suicidal thoughts or tendencies, I want to give you the, uh, the number to call for the suicide hotline. I'm going to give you that right now. The number is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. And I would also talk with you. If you call into the show, I'll talk with you even after the show is over. The number to call, 303-690-3000. I don't want to see anyone commit suicide. And yet, uh, I, I do think that there's a possibility that, um, that a person who has given their life to Jesus and yet in a moment of great weakness commits suicide uh, while it is sin because sin is taken care of by Jesus, past, present, and future, that there is still hope for that person to have been saved. But I would also say this. Um, we're speaking in theoretical terms here. I can't say that 100% for sure. I'm saying it based on what I know about the Bible. Um, but okay. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want anybody to, to test that out. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and, yeah. And here's, here's the other thing, um, and I, I don't have enough time to go into it, but the reason why the Catholic Church had uh, the history behind that, right, um, of why the Catholic Church had taught this doctrine that if you commit suicide, you go to hell, actually goes back to the early days of Christianity when uh, people got in this fervor of trying to become martyrs for Christ because they, they, didn't, they thought that was a good thing to like, it, it would be like essentially like picking a fight with the authorities and being like, hey, hey, here I am. I love Jesus. You know, that basically the Romans said, if you say, I love Jesus or Jesus is Lord, we'll kill you. So they would like, essentially like throw themselves in front of the bus, if you will, 
right, throw themselves in front of Roman soldiers and say, I love Jesus, now kill me. And they were getting killed. And they, everybody thought, oh, it's so great to be a martyr. And the church fathers had to come in and say, hey, 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 let's not do that because the Bible might say in this one verse that if you do that, then God will be upset about it and might you might even go to hell. Um, but I understand that that was the argument. That argument came about because of what was happening. And, um, and I, I think that we need to think a little bit more thoughtfully about how salvation works through Jesus in regard to answering your question. But again, Suicide Prevention Lifeline for those of you who are interested and who need it, 1-800-273-8255. I got to let you go. We got time for, actually, I don't think we have time for any more calls. I see that Josh had a question in Denver. I'm just going to answer the question without taking the call. Josh's question says, is kissing my girlfriend a good idea? She really likes public affection, but he doesn't want to encourage lust in himself and her. Hey, Josh, I think it's super wise of you to draw some boundaries and say, you know what? Um, let's not uh, push this, right? Like, we don't want to stir up uh, something that we're not going to be able to fulfill. So let's draw some boundaries. And, you know, maybe there is a way that you can do that without, you know, maybe like, you, you guys just decide, you know, be wise and say, hey, you know, I don't think this is a good idea for us to do this. If this, and here's why, if you're not going to get married, then you're essentially kissing somebody else's future wife. If you are going to get married, then you have plenty of time to do it in the future. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Come to the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Check us out online. Come worship with us this Sunday at Whitefields. Check us out at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Great being with you today. I'll be with you again next week. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.